Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Guys, get your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 4. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to give you an invitation to say thank you to the Lord for our worship team, particularly in uh, Austin. Um, Brother, I thank the Lord for you. Thank you for leading us in worship. Uh, We have our sister Lisa leading us next week. Um, So that's going to be a blast as well. Uh, We are waiting on the Lord to provide us for what we need. Okay, so let's continue to pray for that. Um, Guys, I can tell you, we've been kind of in this series. This is technically week nine, and I know it's been a long time, and I'm not thinking that the Lord's done with this yet. And I can tell you that back in April, I took a day or two and and prayerfully went before the Lord and was like, all right, God, let's work this out. I want to lead your people well, and and would you show me what you want to teach your people? And and we, we... well, I guess I just like this is this is what we we've been having from the Lord since then, and and I can tell you that there was a, a topic that the Lord had prompted for uh, today that I had a passage for. We were going to look at Second Corinthians ten and and study some of that. But earlier this week, I was reading through John four, and I and was caught off guard by something that was uh, that was enough to be able to say, "All right, Lord, I think that you're changing the plans for this Sunday." Not that he changed his mind, but he's just like, Scott, you thought you heard. Now we got this, all right? So, so we're going to be in John chapter 4 this week, and, and uh, it is a change of plans. And, and let me kind of review where we were last week in and, 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 and the hopes of leading in today, but also encouraging us from last week. So uh, we were in 2 Peter 1.3, and what a promise it was, right? The idea that God himself has given us everything required for what? Life and godliness, like how amazing is that promise that we have everything required for this thing called life and godliness. And we talked about how so interwoven life and godliness are. You can't really have one without the other because if you have a life that's marked by worldliness, that just leads to destruction, not real life. But if you uh, have a, a sense of godliness but no actual life having been raised, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, in regeneration, then we wouldn't actually be able to live godly. So they're so interwoven, so intertwined that you can't separate these two. And, and the reality is God has given us everything we need for both, for life and godliness. So we just, we praise the Lord that he has given us everything we need to be living a life of godliness. And, and here's where we're going today that I found out we were going uh, the, earlier this week. Uh, here's, here's basically the question that we're asking And it's this, as we're on this journey, right, how do we know where we've reached godliness in an area, right? So we've talked about, this is a different question. We've asked the question, what is the ultimate goal? What are we after eventually? But we talked about that, but we're talking about on the journey there. How do we know that we've reached a point of godliness in a particular area in our lives today? How do we know we've been transformed? And, and the reason why this is such an important question, because there's massive implications for, for us as a local church specifically as well, right? So, so uh, guys, if, if we can see this and measure this, then we can bear witness to a world around us that what we're preaching is true, right? 
Like if, 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 we're, if we're serious about this idea that we can be transformed supernaturally, spiritually within into new creatures that we've already been made into, then, then that bears witness to the world about the reality of what's happening in here. And, and so this is important. We need to be able to measure and point out, hey, God, God transformed me in this area of my life. I was just telling my, my brother, uh, Pastor Bruce, about how God has transformed me in a particular area of my life, my life, at no credit to me, because, because it was all his glory and, and, and honor and, and his power working within me. But, but I was able to be like, hey, yeah, oh, wow, God did that. He really did it. We're really, being, we're really being transformed. It's happening. So that's why it's important, but it's also important on a leadership level, right? We need people who are being spiritually formed by Christ to step up into roles of leadership in our church. So if we can't measure that, if we don't know what that looks like, then our leadership could just look like anybody. And that is a, is a problem for, for any kind of measurable fruitfulness in the church. So there's a lot of implications that we're gonna be, uh, as to why we need to answer this question. And, 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 and we're gonna dive in. We, we, I know we've been on a long journey, but it's been so good. And so we're gonna keep going a little bit further in this. What evidence can we look for when somebody's been transformed or when I, we have been transformed? So we're in John chapter four. And, and trust me, guys, there will be a day where we preach through John 4, where we study together from here the whole gospel of John, and we're going to look through John 4 as a whole, but I can tell you today, we don't have time to do that. We're going to look at a very specific part of that story. We're going to isolate one part of it, not from the whole story, but in the context of the story, and it's going to be incredible for what we understand about this, so we're just going to focus in on one verse, so let me give you a bit of context as well. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's having a good ministry. People are being baptized. But it's getting a little hot, and I'm not talking about the temperature. I'm talking about there's, there's some, some uh, heated uh, people rising up. Uh, the Jews were getting a little bit more frustrated. And so Jesus bails it from Jerusalem and heads to Galilee. And this is where we pick up in John chapter 4, verse 4, which is where we're going we're gonna to pick up. And it says this. He had to travel through Samaria, that is Jesus. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and, and drank from it himself, as did the sons and livestock. Verse 13, and Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty 
and come here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. So, guys, I would love to spend some time talking about how Jesus' full surrender to the Spirit made him go to Samaria. I'd love to talk about how like, Jesus got exhausted like, this is the Son of God getting tired. We could talk about the, the cultural background of the Samaritans and their ongoing feud with the Jews. We could talk about the background of this woman, this scandalous, quote-unquote, woman, and the full nature of this story. But, but we don't have time. We're, we're, we're going to really focus in on something. So let's just, again, start with the basics. Jesus is on his journey, and he's exhausted. He's tired. He gets to this well, and this Samaritan shows up in the middle of the day, the Samaritan woman right? And, and, and Jesus asks her for a drink, and, and she's just totally amazed about this, like, like Jesus, this Jew is talking to a woman. That's such scandalous. Not only that, but this Jesus, this Jew is talking to a Samaritan woman. Talk about crazy, right? But Jesus totally just ignores that, right? And he comments, and he says to her, hey, if you knew who is the gift of God, or basically who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water, and her, her response is just total, total perplexion, right? She's just totally perplexed. And, and, and she's like, Jesus, you don't, have this, you don't have a bucket to eat or, or, to, or to, to draw water up from. You, you, the, the well's deep. How are you going to bring it up? Are you, are you really greater than Jacob who gave us this well? And then this is where we're really going to focus in on. Verse 13. I'm going to read it again. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water, referring to the well, will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. Guys, we don't, we don't know or haven't yet really fully experienced the implications of, of some of what's happening here. Because how do we get our water? Right? It just comes right into our house. We don't even have to give it a second thought. What do you just do? You go, oh, water. Right? No, most people around the world, especially in third world countries, carry buckets and gallons and sometimes bags to go to this well or go to this spring and they, they draw their water from it and they carry it back. Can you how, imagine how exhausting it would be to just carry a five-gallon bucket from here to the stoplight right down there, let alone a few miles maybe? So everyone in this town, including this woman, had to do that. They had to come up this, to this well to get their water, and they had to make sure that they got enough for the whole day, or else they'd, they'd lose out. They, they wouldn't have enough, and, and they'd have to go back and get more, because you know how important water is for just living. Can you imagine how exhausting that is? And, and, and not only that, but, but everybody's doing it. Everybody's having to do that, and they, they get up to the well, and they have to put their buckets down in, and then they, they have to, uh, right, I'm not a mime, so this is not going to look really good, but you just keep pulling it up, right, and eventually you've got this full bucket of water, and you've, you fill up your other bucket, your other tote that you're going to take the water home in. That was what was normal. What does Jesus offer here? He says, hey, every time you get thirsty, you have to come here to get water, if the water that I give you, if you accept it, if you receive it, you'll never be thirsty again. You don't have to go to another source of water 
Now, this will be enough. Now, now let's just be clear. This isn't talking, Jesus isn't offering us a physical water. He didn't have, hold up a cup of water and be like, hey, I've got this water. Try this. It wasn't a physical that permanently quenches the physical thirst. He's talking about a spiritual, supernatural water, one that satisfies the soul like we talked about last week. And, 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 and we could talk about the, the fact that Jesus is offering this to a marginalized woman who, who, whose society put her off on the sidelines. And not only that, but she avoided her society because she was going out to the well in the middle of the day, which nobody did because you guys know it's 90 degrees and it don't feel good getting all sweaty and humid in that environment. So you usually go in the morning. But we could talk about that, but we're not. So, so all this to say, Jesus is offering this woman, this scandalous woman, living water. Freely offered. She doesn't have to work for it. She doesn't have to put her buckets down in the well to get it out and to partake of it. Jesus has already provided for the water. He just offers it to her, freely offering it as a free gift. And what does she need to do? Just simply receive it, right? It, it, it has to be received, right? And, and when we talk about received, it's not like, oh, we pour it on our hands. All right, I've received the water. That satisfied my thirst. Nope, that doesn't work. It's not like we just go stand under and, and like wash our face with it. That doesn't satisfy thirst either. No, what do we have to do? We have to partake. We have to take it in, inside of us when we drink, right? I don't know how many of you have gotten like unbear, un, 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 like totally thirsty and you thought, all right, I'm just going to pour it on my head and that'll satisfy me enough. No, that doesn't work. You have to take it inside. You have to receive it inwardly in order to be satisfied, in order to have your thirst quenched. And, and when we drink, it enters into us. This water enters into us. Now, here's a little bit of an anatomy lesson, right? Not only does that water satisfy us, it saturates us, right? So, so that water, when it goes in, it gets processed and it gets sent out to the parts of your body so that it actually saturates your whole body and it becomes part of your being. It becomes part of your existence, right? And not only that, but it helps build up the fabric of your body. Guys, the same is true of this water that Jesus is offering Right? This is why it's such a close imagery, a, a close image, right? So, so we must drink in what Jesus is offering here, this living water. Now, to, to just go ahead and clarify the debate about what we mean by living water, Jesus already told us in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 39, it says, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Sound familiar? The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. We're pretty much hearing the same thing, but listen to what he says. He said this about who? The spirit. The living water is the spirit of God. It's the very existence. It's the presence and nature of God himself coming into the person, representing to us the person and character of God, he comes and lives inside of us. He satisfies us. He saturates us. He becomes part of our being, built into the very fabric of our bodies. So are you, are you tracking the connection here? Just as water is to your physical life, the spirit of God is to your spiritual life. Just as water is needed for the physical body, 
The spirit of God is desperately needed for the inward body, your heart, right? That's the major connection here. This living water that Jesus is offering, just like normal water, saturates us. It becomes part of our being inwardly in our hearts. And this living water is the Holy Spirit. So guys, isn't, isn't that pretty much the epitome of godliness? Right? Godliness being what, 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 what comes from us. It's, it's, it's growing into maturity like God's character inwardly by the Spirit. Right? That, that's what godliness is. Like God from the heart. Not just on the outward appearance of things. So Jesus is offering living water. And he's offering it to everyone who comes and drinks. Guys, we're not even at the verse that I I wanted to land at, but you have to make this connection for this next verse to make sense. Let's go there now, verse 14. He says, in fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. All right, so there's, there's three characteristics about this living water, quote unquote, the spirit, whenever it invades and infiltrates the person's heart. There's three things. First off, it's simply this. This water is a sufficient source. Can we say that together? One, two, three. This water is a sufficient source. It's a well. It's, a, it's almost like a spring. It's sufficient. You don't, you don't, how many, whenever you live, if you live off of a well, right, do you have to go fill it up every now and then with water? No, the whole point of it is that it's sufficient in and of itself to provide water. So Jesus is saying that this water that he gives us, this spirit of God is sufficient. It is a sufficient source. You don't need anything else. Remind you of last week? You don't have to have a reservoir to keep filling it up. You don't have to maintain it. You don't have to pull it out to clean it up and whatever. You don't have to put it back in. You don't have to work to keep it full. It's totally sufficient for a vital life of godliness. This water is a sufficient source. Here's the second characteristic we see about this. This water brings eternal life. Can we say that together? One, two, three. This water brings eternal life. Do you notice that? He says, this water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Now, we've got to remember how we've viewed eternal life, that it's not just simply immortality. Right? Eternal life isn't just simply when we bite the dust here, we don't die. Right? We go on existing. That's not, that's not simply eternal life. Eternal life is what we were raised to when we were regenerated and born again. So you are right now, if you are in Christ, living an eternal life that will last for eternity. And this is the abundant life that we talked about last week. This is, this is the, the satisfying life that satisfies the soul that we Christians get to enjoy. And remember, this is the life that's completely interconnected with godliness. You can't have both, or you can't have one without the other. You have to have both because we can't find joy without one or the other. I mean, this is why Jesus' life is so beautiful when we read about it and we study it and we see his character. It's because he lived the abundant life because he was perfectly God. 
He represented God to us, and that's why his life is so beautiful and satisfying when we look at it. And this water is designed to lead to that life. That's what it's made for. Now, this makes total sense because Romans 8, 6 says that the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The Spirit is designed to give us life and peace as we walk in him. So this water that Jesus gives us, it's sufficient in and of itself. You don't got to go anywhere else to be satisfied. Secondly, it, it leads to the abundant eternal life that Christ prepared for us. And then thirdly, this water naturally springs up. Can we say that together? One, two, three. This water naturally springs up. So just a little participation here. How many of you live on a well system? Right? Do any of you live on a well? So you live on, some, some of you do, right? I'm assuming for those of you who do, that you don't have to get buckets and go out and get your water anymore, right? No, that would be absurd, especially today in our country. No, no, you don't, you don't have to do that, right? We don't have to, uh, to get that. What, what, do we, what, do we, what do you use to get the water out? What's it called? A, a well pump, right? You've, you've got a man-made system designed to pressurize water and send it up a hose into your house so that you don't even have to think about water unless your well pump fails and then you've got to dig it out and start it over again. So, so Jesus is saying here that, that he's given us a source of water that is totally sufficient, that leads to eternal life, and it's down in your heart and you have to go down digging and you've got to bring it up, right? That's what he says? No, what does he say is characteristic about this water? It's like old faithful that's the, the geyser thing, you know, that, oh, water. It springs up by itself. That's what was so amazing when I read this. I was like, wait a minute, that naturally springs up. It's not like I have to work to get it to come up. No, it's, it's characteristically flowing up, overflowing, springing up out of the ground. It requires no well pump. It requires no human effort to bring it out. It simply springs up by itself. In fact, that's the literal meaning of the, 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 the Greek word there for springing up or like a fountain, right? It, 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 you see the word only two other times in the New Testament used of springing up. And you know what those are? Acts 14 and Acts 3, both of which were stories about a paralyzed man who was radically healed and got up and started leaping around, testing out his new feet. That was not high at all. Sorry, I used to jump higher. Leaping around with his new legs that were working, leaping up, jumping around. That's the, 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 the imagery we see of this water. It's leaping up out of us. That's the characteristic of this water, naturally overflowing into eternal life. It doesn't require effort. Now, that sounds like I'm conflicting with last few weeks. I'm not. We'll, we'll get there. And what's amazing is that Jesus says that this doesn't possibly happen. He doesn't say, well, if you work hard enough, it'll happen in your life. No, he says it's promised to happen. It becomes this to whoever drinks it. So would you believe me if I told you that if you have the spirit of God in you right now because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have within you the natural potential for godliness. It might not seem 
That might seem counterintuitive, but guys, remember we've been made into new creatures. And, and we, each of us, have the living potential of godliness within us. Not because of Scott Bread, but because we've drunk in the living water who is the spirit of God dwelling within us. And you have the spirit of God in you if you are in Christ, which means you have the potential for godliness. And does this life require our effort to bring it out? This verse says no. Absolutely not. It characteristically, naturally springs up by itself. Guys, that's that's true godliness, right? True godliness is natural when it's truly godly, right? If it's, if it's not true godliness, then, then you're going to force it out. You're going to have to draw it out. And that does, that, that, that's not bad. We'll talk about that in a second. It's not bad, but, but true godliness naturally overflows when there's true godliness within, right? Is that, is that you tracking with that? Because it's huge. It, it shouldn't have to require our effort to, to express godliness into our externals from the internals if that's what's becoming of our nature. I mean, isn't that the nature of this water? It, it springs up itself. So, so let, me, let me try to illustrate this in a, in a, in a very specific way and, and, and hopefully you can relate and it's helpful. So, so let's say we're in an environment and things are just growing increasingly hostile to our souls and, and something happened and we're triggered. We've been triggered and we're, we're over the edge. We're, we're, we're falling, right? And we're like, wait a minute. We're, we're, we're feeling it. We're feeling all the feels and, and you can sense within yourself something coming up and you're like, well, that ain't godly. I don't, I don't want that coming out. And so what do we do? What do we typically do? We go, okay, no, get back in there. You're not coming out. Okay. And we're, as soon as we feel like we've gotten a grip on it, we go, all right, God, what do, you, what do you want me to do? What is it? You want me to love? Okay, I'll love. All right. I'm, okay, all right, I'm loving you. I'm loving you. I'm loving you. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh. So we do that, and then we, we get out of that trial, and we go, Nailed it. I'm godly. Next temptation. Let's go. And we resign ourselves over to that being the norm of the Christian life. Now, guys, I need to be careful here because that's not bad. That's a good thing. It's much better than going, oh, wait, this is coming up. Well, I guess it's just me, and I have to be true to myself, so all right, everything's coming out, and all of you are getting destroyed by my wrath, right? No, that's what the world around us says. You have to be true to yourself, but when we see things coming out of us that aren't good, it's it's okay to be like, nope, let's go back down. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? That's good. That's a good thing. But what that exposes is that there's something in your nature that's still ungodly. And it's an opportunity for God to get in there and be like, all right, let's change your nature there. Do you see, you see the difference? 
Because what if my nature gets changed there and then the, the activator that triggered me is like, wait a minute, nope, here's godliness coming. Oh, wait, I don't, wait, whoa, I don't have to do anything. Godliness everywhere and people are enjoying Jesus. Man, wouldn't that be so much better if what naturally comes out is godliness? If naturally what springs forth from our hearts is godliness, Christ-likeness, maturity. Isn't that what we want? But, but, but we typically resign ourselves over to the whole, crush it, cut it off at the pass, and, and I'm gonna try to be everything God wants me to be. Oh, okay, I'm gonna try, keep trying, all right, good. No, that's, that's not true godliness. Guys, maturity and godliness we're not designed to be something we force ourselves into through knowing the script and acting it out. Even though something else seems to be naturally coming out of us. That's, that's often what we resign ourselves over to in the Christian life. And, and we, we think we've been good. Oh, we've been good. I haven't really done this. this is, I've seen this in me, but I've, I've been good. I've been, ugh, I haven't done it, right? We're resigning ourselves over to being really good actors acting the part of the Christian life, not actually being transformed. So another way this might happen is like, we know the, 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 the love verse, 1 Corinthians 13, says love is patient, love is kind. And what do we do? We've, we as Christians, we value love. We love people. And so we find out, okay, well, if love is patient and kind, then I need to be more patient and kind. And so we enter into an environment. I'm going to be patient and kind. All right, patient and kind, patient and kind. Oh, wait, you trigger me. Oh, man, I'm not patient and kind anymore. And then we just fail because we, we haven't actually allowed love to infiltrate into our depths and make us different in that area. So we put on a characteristic that we try to be more and more patient and kind, but we only find ourselves failing. Yes, yes, like don't get me wrong, we should always do the best we can in action, but you're not gonna find much progress in transformation if that's how you view maturity and growth in Christ. Dallas Willard said it in, in Renovation of the Heart, he said, nearly trying to act lovingly, let's say godly, will lead to despair and to defeat of love. It will make us angry and hopeless. As forced, forced acting of godliness is spiritually exhausting. Just like forced acting physically, like if an actor signed up for a role that he said, hey, you're coming out of the womb and, and we're gonna have you sign this contract that for the rest of your life, you're gonna have to play this part. And for the rest of his life, he's got to play that. You think he would get exhausted of playing the part? Absolutely. We, we do the same thing, right? We, we, we play the part, but it gets exhausting and eventually hopeless because we never actually find ourselves measuring up to what we're desiring or what we're trying to act out. And that's why so many of us get tired. That's why so many of us carry a heavier burden than Jesus actually offered us. I mean, do you, you do remember that, right? Like Jesus did say his yoke is easy and his burden is light, or did we forget that somewhere along the way? I don't mean that the Christian life was meant to be easy, but it's possible. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, 
and what God wants to do in you, in this transformed life, is to make godliness effortless. Meaning godliness is what naturally overflows and springs up out of your heart into your life from your dependence on the spirit of God and the truth of God dwelling within. So guys, this whole journey that we've been on these last eight weeks and in the pursuit of the transformed life through the renewal of the mind hasn't been so that we can just start acting more godly, right? I don't want a bunch of actors who can play the part and know the script really well. There goes my other script. Sorry. I don't, I don't want a bunch of actors. Jesus doesn't want a bunch of actors here. Jesus wants to make godliness effortless, effortlessly natural in us. We've been on this journey so that our nature would become godly. So that what we're being formed into within is like God. So what naturally flows out of us effortlessly is Christ. And guys, we, we know that's what God wants. Because that's the nature of the living water that he offers. It's the living water that naturally springs up if we just simply Get out of the way. We'll talk about that in a minute, but, but here's some more proof. This is a quote from Ed Smith in his book, Transformation Prayer Ministry, and he says, the outcome of transformation should be the bearing of good fruit, that is, deeds that express the very nature and character of God. True obedience is only accomplished when God refines our faith, purifies our heart beliefs, and as a natural and expected outcome, we bear his fruit. Obedience is a natural and effortless outcome. It's meant to be. So, so what Jesus offered you when the gospel was presented to you wasn't an acting contract. It wasn't. It was a let me change you from within contract. It's a new nature that he offered. So tie all of this back to the question that we started with. How do we know when we've grown in an area into godliness or into Christ-likeness? And what's the answer? Well, the answer is the major truth that we're trying to get from the word today, and that's this. True godliness is effortless nature, not forced acting. Can we read this together? One, two, three. True godliness is effortless nature, not forced acting. That's how we know if we've grown in godliness. What naturally comes out of us being something that looks more like God and a little less like this chump right here. More like Christ, less like Scott. Is that's how we know. When what naturally comes out, what effortlessly comes out is godliness. So what we want to grow in is not our ability to act more like Jesus. What we want to grow in 
is maturity in our nature, our natural, true character. As we want to be able to delight in God's commands to the point where we obey, not forcing ourselves to obey God's command while looking like we're joyful doing it. <laughs> right? There's a big difference there. So, so let me give you an example of that. Right? So, so let's say, for example, I would bring my kids up and, and we were to just say, hey, kids, we're done with the service. Let's go get in the car. We're going to go get ice cream. What do you think they're going to do? Right out those doors, they're probably going to be yell, yelling back, Dad, we'll drive if you'll, if you'll just get in the car. They're, they're, they're six, five, and three years old. They'd be so excited. Obedience would not be a problem at all. But let's say the service ended, the kids were up here. Hey, kids, can you go get in the car? We've got to go to the dentist. Where would they run? They'd go hide down in the boiler room and, and they'd be praying before the Lord, God, please don't let our father take us to the dentist. No. I mean, that, 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 not, not literally, but maybe something like that, right? They, they would have no problem joyfully obeying what they delight in because they believe it's good. Right? If we were to try to say, hey, go get in the car, we're going to the dentist, we could, we could, we could make them obey. Like we'd probably get out like a leash, tow them to the car, ratchet strap them to their car seats and then to the dentist table, right? Like whatever. But that's forced obedience and they're, they're only acting apart. But what if it's true that God could get into the very beliefs that motivate their delight and joy? that then radically transform their obedience so that they obey out of delight. Where they say, oh, dentists are good. And I know that there's good things that happen for me, so I'm gonna obey dad. What if it was like that? That's how we know we're growing in godliness. When godliness is what naturally flows out of our inward hearts like a springing up well, that's not clogged up or blocked by wrong convictions or beliefs. So that's what we're after. True formation, true transformation of the inward soul into the nature of Christ. So that what effortlessly comes out is godliness, not the old self. And guys, I gotta tell you right now at this point, we can't do it. If we could, we wouldn't need the living water that Jesus offers. We are 100% reliant upon the, the work of the Spirit. So that's where we put our effort, going after the Spirit and letting him change us so that what naturally comes out of us is godliness. So we can't do it. We are 100% reliant on the Spirit of God to saturate us within and to become part of our very nature. So yes, we've talked about there being effort in the Christian life, right? The effort isn't in the acting the Christian way. The effort is in going into your heart with the Spirit of God and saying, all right, God, form me. Show me what I'm believing that's not true and make it true. Make me believe what's true so then I can feel rightly and do rightly, just like we've been talking about for weeks. That's where we put our effort. So then when we're in an environment where we might be triggered, instead what naturally comes out of us effortlessly is godliness. 
That's what we're going for. Because guys, I don't know about you. I'm assuming that we're in the same boat. There's a lot of people in my life who would greatly benefit if I looked a little bit more like Jesus and a little less like me. My wife would have fewer headaches and heartbreaks. My kids wouldn't be so afraid all the time. There's a lot of people who would greatly benefit if what effortlessly came out of me was godliness. So, like, don't you want this? Like, Jesus is offering it. You don't have to work for it. It's a free gift. We receive it, we drink it in deeply, and it changes us. So brothers and sisters, at this point, if you just bow your heads, we need to do some reflective work. Think through some things and, and ask the Lord to, to come with you into your heart and meet you there. So if you're here this morning and godliness seems less like a overflowing, naturally springing up well and more like a, a, a pool of water deep down and you're having to strive and work so hard to get godliness into your externals. If that's you this morning, I'm assuming that you're probably exhausted and you're tired. You're probably tired of habitual sin you can't seem to gain any victory over. You're tired of playing the part and faking it till you make it. If that's you, my encouragement to you would simply be take heart. Your spiritual life doesn't have to stay that way because that's not the nature of the living water that Jesus offers. Maybe, maybe you're, untired, you're just tired of the ungodliness that you see in a particular area in your life and you just keep battling it over and over and over and you can't help but be stressed out and you only see it as an inadequacy and you almost feel like it's gonna be a permanent inadequacy the rest of your life. Brother, sister, let me tell you, God sees it as an opportunity, not an inadequacy. It's an opportunity for him to shape you and mold you like his son in whom he greatly delights. So what area in your life do you see this going on? Be on the lookout. As you see an area of growth in your life, don't you dare run to condemning yourself because Jesus said there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in him. Instead, just present that area to the Lord. Invite him into your heart 
into your beliefs and work with him like we've studied for the last few weeks to transform you. But don't give up. Don't resign yourself to just simply acting godly. Don't rest until you have the divine life within you naturally. So maybe you need to take some time to just pray before the Lord and say, God, you're showing me this area of my life where where I've been acting the part, but what's effortlessly come out is ungodliness, and I want godliness there. Would you go in with me and show me the convictions that aren't true, and Spirit, lead me into truth? So at this time, I'm just gonna give you that moment with your Father in heaven and the Spirit of the Son dwelling in you. And then I'm going to pray for you. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.